This is episode three in the XY Marketing Series with client experience and marketing extraordinaire, Michael Back. For those who are unfamiliar with the human-to-human founder, Michael is loved by many in financial services as a great business coach and client experience expert. And aside from being a total legend, he's just a really down-to-earth and genuine human. In today's episode, Ben Nash from XY spends quite a bit of time with Michael, talking all things client attraction and client engagement. They explore the key elements of marketing specifically related to financial services, and Michael shares with us his wisdom on how we can build thriving businesses by creating more meaningful relationships with our clients and nurturing high-performing teams who are aligned with the business's goals and vision. There are so many nuggets of marketing gold shared in this episode. If you're someone looking to implement a marketing strategy from scratch, maybe you've dabbled in the marketing game across various social platforms, but you're not really sure if you're seeing any results, or maybe you're just keen to learn what other successful advisors are doing when it comes to marketing, then this is the episode for you. Thank you for letting us get inside your ears, and we hope you enjoy this episode as much as we did making it. Hub24 is an ASX-listed company with over $10 billion funds under management and one of the fastest-growing platforms in the market. Neither a bank nor part of a bank, Hub24 focuses entirely on connecting advisors to a broad range of investment solutions for their clients. Discover why other advisors think Hub24 are the best in the market and access the benefits of choice and efficiency for you and your clients with their market-leading managed portfolio solution. To find out more, visit hub24.com.au. Tell us a story, Michael. A story. Story I tell to a lot of people, which there's some kind of metaphor there. Maybe we can unpack it. I was in South America with a group of friends and we were sandboarding, which uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, is kind of like snowboarding, but you go down a sand hill rather than a mountain. Oh, wow. That's very aptly named. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it does what it says on the packet. And uh, I'm a bit scared of heights. And so I was at the top of the hill and my mates were all going down and, you know, different ones had come up at different times and I'd have a chat with them and then they'd go and none of them realized I wasn't going because I was a bit scared of heights. I was just happy chilling there, but I I was (laughs) shitting myself. And eventually someone said, hold on, I haven't seen you go down. Have you gone down? I I fessed up and said I hadn't. And uh, I eventually went down um, with a lot of- Did you shit yourself? uh, Yeah, not literally, (laughs) but like, yeah, uh, figuratively, yes. Yes. would have been a very, very different story if I had. Um, Sand cleans all, all wounds. Yes, it does. Or <laughs> <laughs> agitates them as well. Um, but no, I was going down the, I, I went down and I got cajoled, you know, they were psyching me up and I was shitting myself and went down and I stacked it. It actually felt really, really good because um, the sand was warm and it was soft and it was comfortable. And it was just this moment where I went, I was scared of something. But then as soon as it happened, it was actually way more enjoyable than I thought. Mm. Um, and then the last next few times I went down, I never fell over because I wasn't scared anymore. And I think it was a bit of a metaphor for life. It's one of those things where you, you often in your head build up something to be bad. But then what if all those things that you were scared of were actually really enjoyable? How much more liberating would that be? Jesus, yes. Well, look, so we're here today talking on the marketing series. So what what lessons can we learn from that in a marketing concept? I know I can relate to it, you know, like 
these things. We've you and I have together gone on a bit of a journey with uh, into the deep dark hole of Facebook advertising, and uh, you know maybe that fear was actually warranted in the end. But, uh, <laughs> What do you what do you think we can uh, we can learn? Is it it, it does seem to to uh, to line up with the I, I think a lot you know you, people hear about these strategies when it comes to marketing and different things that they can do to amplify their message, but the fear the fear fear stops a lot of people as we've spoken about a number of times stops a lot of people from actually you know taking that action. Yeah, it does, and I also think you know if you look at it just at it from an experience point of view that if you are scared of things and block them out. The experiences that you will have are within a narrow range, but you know it's that saying: the definition of madness is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. If you want your business or your life to enter uncharted waters, you've got to do different things. And uh, the worst that can happen is probably a, a you know more often than not, uh, nowhere near as bad as you think it's going to be. True. Yeah, except if for in the case of Facebook advertising where it's much worse. <laughs> well, yeah, when it costs you money, there's, a, there's, there's an unlimited downside on something like yeah. that. So uh, tell me, what trends are you seeing out there in the marketing space? Um, look, I think it's really interesting because I entered the industry in 2012 and um, when you well, look so youthful though. Oh well, no. The financial advice industry I've been in since 2007, so uh, I'm yeah, I'm hiding my age well. <laughs> uh, but I entered, I suppose, the the marketing for social uh, for financial advisors industry in 2012. Yeah. And back then, um, there was a, a couple of schools of thought. There was people who could see what was happening on social media and video, etc., and realize that that's the way the ball was bouncing. But a lot of people, you know, of this mindset of we're not news readers. Um, you know, I don't need to be on camera. Uh, I think- Ray Jaramus is definitely not of that mindset because <laughs> that bloke is is the best financial advice, uh, financial advisor, newsreader I have ever come across. Really, I haven't seen his stuff. Oh, every Friday, it's out, man. You're missing out. Is he auto queuing? No, I think he's. I think he's like full profesh. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Is he like wearing market update suit, suit and tie, maybe shorts underneath? Can't tell. Hair normally, you know, six to nine inches directly vertical. Um, but yeah, it's good. You Very should check it out. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Yeah. Well, no, I, um, yeah. So I think it, it has been really interesting because back then you'd have three or four advisors who do a budget video update. Um, and then the rest of them just thought those ones were wankers. Whereas now it's, I think a lot of the, the trends are less about, should we be doing this stuff and more about how should we be doing this stuff, mm. which is a much more interesting conversation. Um, podcasting is absolutely, you know, taking over. The, the consumption of podcasts, you know, a, a lot of the, a lot of people were were really getting into video a few years ago, and mm. video well and truly has its place. But you've always got that issue of someone needs to be sitting down with undivided attention, which I don't know about you, Ben, but it's very rare that my attention is undivided. Yeah. Um, whereas you know, if I can be washing the car or mowing the lawn or whatever while listening to a podcast, um, there's a much greater chance I'm going to do it. So, you know, I saw Gary Vee a couple of years ago, and he said that any business that in the next five years doesn't have an audience strategy they're going to be dead and uh yeah i don't know if it, that that drastic comment is quite true but i think you're seeing the trend there that a lot of businesses are heading more towards the audio kind yeah of. absolutely like i know I w- we were over at fincon last year and podcasts were just out of control just everyone in the states is so big I, obviously they've got heaps more people over there but just just massive and i know that 
you know, there's a, there's a few people over here doing it really well. Uh, you know, the, we, obviously we've got a bunch of great listeners uh, on the XY podcast, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's really, it's really sort of exploded here and allowing people, I think, you know, from a marketing perspective that you're in people's ears, it's like you're literally inside their head, mm. uh, building that, building that no like, and trust element. So mm. a great way to to engage more people. Mm. I think too, like, you know, a, a lot of this stuff, people, that their mind immediately goes to celebrity. So they go, look, I don't want to be this person in front of a camera that goes in front of 500,000 people. There's a type of person who quite loves the idea of that. But Clayton. I think <laughs> maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, look, the average advisor doesn't really want that level of exposure. It probably makes them a little bit uncomfortable. Um, but, you know, it's the same with podcasting that, you know, the, the goals of, you know, having thousands of people listening and, you know, 5% of them want to enter a conversation about financial advice, et cetera, et cetera. That, that's a great thing, but it doesn't necessarily need to play out that way. Uh, a lot of the advisors I work with may have been on various podcasts or filmed um, various videos, and it's not necessarily about the public response to that, but injecting it into the right moment of your client experience or your onboarding journey, as an example, mm. can have a profound impact on your conversion rate, as an example. Yeah. So I think, you know, the, the process of launching a podcast, yeah, look, if you can be one of the lucky ones who has a really successful podcast or video series or blog series or whatever you choose to do, mm. um, that would be great if publicly it exploded. But just the idea of refining your message to a point where it can help 10 people is certainly better than just holding it to yourself and not letting it out. So yeah. I think there's a lot more micro moments to use great content as opposed to these huge, you know, wide scale opportunities to get it in front of a, a huge audience, so yeah, to speak. Yeah, absolutely. And like, th I think the reality is that most advisors, most advisors aren't going to be able to deal with a thousand clients at once, you know, it's a, and a small number of, and a small and declining number of businesses that can they can do that. But I, yeah, 100% agree. I know, you know, I've got a, uh, a podcast, not one of the XY Advisor podcasts, but a, a podcast that I did with another group as part of my uh, my email client journey, as you well know, uh, helping me out with doing that. Got the idea from uh, from Corey Wassell. Shout out Wassley. Um, but he, he, he does the same thing that he did. I can't recall exactly who his podcast is with, but it gives some insights into into what he, what he is doing as an advisor and uh, and you know he uses it in the you've booked a maybe a phone call or maybe a meeting or something like that and I've done the same thing with one of those I think it's the phone call that you're like oh listen I'm on a podcast I'm 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 clearly I'm not um, so much of a lunatic that I you know or or maybe someone trusts me enough to be on their podcast and then you put the Apple logo next to it like get me on iTunes and it's like holy shit this guy's this guy's on iTunes, which it shouldn't probably shouldn't matter. Like, because mm. it's easy. Mm. I suppose it's sort of easy mm. enough to, to you know, anyone can really start a podcast. But um, I think that is a thing that that really does you know build that level of trust, and then also it allows people to get a bit of insight. If you get them, like you say, those micro moments at the right moment, people are in this process of deciding, trying to evaluate someone, and do I like you? Do I trust you? What do I think? Am I going to connect? And is it scary? Should I be there? Should I even go to this meeting? Should I jump on that call? And uh, yeah, I don't know. Like uh, you know, I I know that um, 
that, uh, you know, it's been, Corey was telling me this worked really well for him. I know I can speak from my personal experience that I was working on a lot of other things at that time, but uh, yeah, it's definitely not hurting anything. And, and I think that people that want to get that detail, then they can get the insight, uh, you know, build the trust and yeah, that's a win. Nice little micro moment. I like that term as well. Yeah. And, and it's, um, you know, it's, th- th- there's so many ways to look at it. Like, you know, if you're looking for a pure business ROI, it's possible. Um, but you know, th- there's so many other benefits too, like, uh, you know, obviously scaling your ability to help people that if someone can listen to your podcast or you watch your video or read your blog and change how they do things without ever meeting you, that's a great output. You know, that, that is, it's great to think that we can do something that lives on for year, years and years. I, I spoke to Brett Evans a few weeks ago, mm. um, and I commended him on a post that I read on LinkedIn about, um, the five biggest mistakes expats make with their money. He didn't even remember writing it. And uh, yeah. uh, he said to me, isn't that amazing that I wrote something and I don't even remember writing it and yet it resonated with you. And it resonated with me because I just went, wow, you've really, you understand your market so deeply. Yeah. Like, you could just tell, like, it's just oozing experience, that article. Um, but I was speaking to an expat friend of mine who'd read it and said, I wish I'd read that before yeah. I'd, <laughs> I'd become an expat. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that idea of a legacy and, and having an, imp- an impact beyond what you can do in eight hours a day is pretty profound. Mm. Um, but even just like, refining your message. Like I think knowing something is one thing, but being able to construct it in a way that helps others is true mastery. And it, it takes a lot more effort than you think. You know, we all have that, I, you know, I talk about this every day, I'll get in front of the camera and do a video. It's a lot harder than you think, but the more times you go through that process, the more you get it down to that, that simplicity. Uh, and, you know, then you can actually really make change happen because you, you kind of hit someone between the eyes and they go, oh my gosh, yes, I need to do something. Yeah. Hundred percent. It's uh, it's like the you know that you're going through the the key person of influence program as I've been uh, as well, and that we were talking about it just before. And you know, you say something enough times, and you think about it enough that your message just gets so refined that you can hit those people behind between the eyes. You know, I, I noticed that I've definitely done that with. You, you have these conversations with clients over and over and over again. And then like I do a lot of events and workshops and stuff. And then so you've got to refine the message and then you say that and then you practice it and then you do it live and then you think about it afterwards and you refine and make it more succinct and do that. And then, you know, from uh, from writing the book, I, I know that that like recently put out my book and then that has forced me to even make it more you know, really get that you, then you get the research behind it and then you get the into it and then you've got to, you know, you explain it and you just, you're just getting more, more and more, um, I, I suppose, a, a, you know, honed on that message so that when it comes to, yeah, these, these, uh, these content bites that, uh, that it's really, yeah, it is succinct and it is hitting the, the people between the eyes. But yeah, I think you're right. Uh, in the, the words, you know, in the, in the words of the rapper, John, John Wayne, uh, you know, legend, total, total legend. But you know, when he's gone, it's only the words that live on, Backy. You know, you know, John Wayne. I think um, I should say word. That's probably the most appropriate word. response to that. John yeah. Wayne is a rapper. Yeah, You're not thinking of Lil Wayne. No. Okay. Although you know, no, I'd say John Wayne better than Lil Wayne. Okay, I'm showing my lack of hip hop knowledge here. Really good. Yeah, I've yeah. got like a triple J level of hip hop knowledge. Oh, but yeah, okay. you're, you've Next obviously level. gone down Next. a rapid hole there. Yeah, I so I discovered Spotify the other day. Um, I've decided Spotify is pretty good. Really? Yeah. There just you like go. Downloaded for the first time. Was like yeah. flicking through a few playlists, and I was like, "Holy shit! This 
This is decent. I should introduce you to internet banking. That's a, <laughs> that is a game changer. I uh, I met this client, this new client yesterday, and she said she resisted internet banking until two years ago. So God help me with my onboarding process. But um, yeah. There Some people love the human touch, Ben. The human, that's that's what it's all about, I hear, Michael. Well, yeah, I mean, if you, if you ask me, yes. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, uh, you'll never meet anyone who loves and gets more excited by great technology than me. But, um, yeah, I think it, it's like anything. Whenever there's a trend, we can go too far one way and then there's often a counter trend. Uh, and I think, you know, in this age of automation and bots and, uh, you know, the ability to, to really potentially run a, an entire client experience with ever, w- without ever looking someone in the eyes. Um, mm. We have that power at our fingertips now, but um, when people are kind of starved of their basic human needs of connection and um, trust and all those things, it, it, it means that, you know, what, when the world zigs, you can zag. So to give you a really simple example, um, email marketing open rates at the start of email marketing were off the charts because it was novel and people were excited. Mm. Now there's so much of it that direct mail in the post is getting an enormous response rate again. Yeah. Um, the wine companies have worked this out. I don't know if you've noticed, but you get a lot more, you know, handouts at train stations for Uber Eats and, um, you mm. know, like like physical marketing is working because everything's gone so digital that people are craving the physical touch. Mm. And so as a financial advisor, it's... Uh, you know, you can go so far down the path of, oh my gosh, video is so good, I never have to have a face-to-face with my clients. Now, look, most advisors aren't saying that, they get it. Yeah. Um, but injecting elements of of deeply personal touches into your client experience can have a profound effect because most other people aren't thinking that way anymore. They, they think, oh, you know, we don't have to do that anymore, so why should we? Yeah. Well, I think you're right. I think, you know, exactly that technology can do so much and that's great and that drives efficiency and it's scalable and, you know, everyone's scale and, you know, you need to do all these things and, you know, great and it's important and everyone needs to be efficient and you you sort of have to have a level of scale to, you know, uh, have a level of profitability in a business as well. But completely agree that you want the the human touch to be the deeply personal piece. I know that's the sort of the model that I run in my business where, you know, we, we're trying to leverage everything through technology as much as we can. But when, when it's, when it's, when we're on, it's, it's on and it's, you know, detailed and it's thorough. And, uh, that's where you, you're having those moments and building, building a real connection with people. So yeah, as, uh, I suppose, is that, is that part of marketing? Do you think? Oh, absolutely. I mean, marketing is ultimately connecting with people so you can achieve a win-win whether that's you solve a problem for them and then your business benefits. I mean, that, that's what marketing is at its core. Um, so, yeah, I think the, you know, the danger is that uh, you know, every great client experience needs a combination of two things. It needs to deliver an outcome and it needs to evoke a feeling. Um, and it's very hard to divorce the two because um, everything we do in life is wrapped up in the feeling attached to it. So, Absolutely. you know, I could be running a restaurant and give you the most incredible food you've ever had. Um, but if I don't make eye contact, if I make you feel um, inferior throughout the service, service experience, it's going to taste different. I promise you. Yeah. No matter what ingredients I use, no matter how good a chef I am, um, the, the product and the experience are just so intermingled. Um, yeah. And it works the other way that, you know, if the food's pretty good but the service is great and I preempt your beer order because I remember when you came in last time and I know what beer you like to drink um, and I remembered that you said you were going on a holiday and I follow up with you on the holiday, 
you're in such a different mindset that when you eat that food, it tastes just a little bit better and you enjoy it more. Mm. Um, and it's the same with what we do in the financial advice industry is that there's a feeling that we need to produce or not need to produce that we do. Whether we like it or not, we are producing Definitely. that feeling. Yeah. Uh, and so if you're focusing too much on the advice delivery and the efficiency and the, the tech side of things without remembering that any interaction you and your business are having with someone is creating a feeling, um, yeah, you're missing out on a golden opportunity. Absolutely. And I think that, uh, you know, Mark, obviously we're, he we're here on the marketing series. So, so we're talking about marketing and it's all, uh, as you say, there are different elements to marketing. I think it's easy. And I know that I've certainly fallen into this trap where you can get distracted in the, with the shiny objects in marketing. And I, I know I spent, you know, most of, uh, most of last financial year, just trying to build bloody online training. And I think I've spoken about it on the podcast a couple of times before. And fucking Facebook advertising as we were talking about. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a deep, dark hole and, and uh, you know, there are so many things that you can do to, uh, yeah, that, that just kill time and take away from that that core business and can, thankfully for me, it wasn't that I, that that distraction translated into a, into a poor feeling for clients, but it definitely meant that I wasn't accelerating things as much as I could have. And uh, absolutely it, impacted our like new business the the focus on on new business and growing the bu the business to the point that it has do you think that that is that a common problem like is that a common issue that you see with people that the people that business owners get distracted by all the things and they think that they should be in all of these places and that does things or 100 percent, yeah. yeah um it's part of the the beauty of entrepreneurs, but also part of the curse is the shiny object syndrome. Mm. Um, getting excited very easily, um, loving the idea of starting something, but not necessarily getting that fulfillment from finishing things. I hope you're listening, Clay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and yeah, so in, in one respect, uh, you've got to channel that enthusiasm of being on the lookout for great opportunities and and that, that enthusiasm is what carries a business through. But um, that 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 scattergun approach of you know being interested in a million things at once usually means that nothing's executed properly and you waste time, money, energy, opportunity cost, all of those things. Uh, when you know if you apply that energy in one direction, obviously you're going to get better results. By the yeah. same token, that that can be quite um, boring and <laughs> you know a lot yeah. less exciting for an entrepreneurially minded person. So um, it's about finding a balance in, mm. in a lot of ways. Um, or just sucking it up. I, my coach, David Dugan, who I'm working with at the moment, shout out Dr. Dugan, he uh, he says, uh, and he, I think he does it on purpose, every time we do a coaching call, he, he puts a big, um, like a sticky note from a from the flip chart at the back and it just says, boring is profitable. I think he's just trying to uh, subliminally like put that into my mind, but also true. So true. Yeah. And I mean, it's... Uh you know, it's the dopamine hit that we get, right, from starting new things. It just kind of gives us that novelty and that that trigger, you know. It's almost like why we go onto Facebook and get excited when we see a new friend request or a new mm. notification. Um, you also do get a dopamine Fuck, hit. Fuck, I feel anxiety when I go and I, when I see another <laughs> notification. I'm like, nine plus again? <laughs> yeah, nine plus. I, there'd be very few people who let it get to nine plus. That's impressive. That shows yeah, that shows a remarkable amount Clay of self discipline. Would say it's slack, but yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh. No, well, I mean, you know, we're, we're painting you in a bad light here. I think you're you're actually a lot better at focusing than most people. Yes, uh, it's just what you focus. I think I go hard, go hard on one, and you know, you have to. I I try to keep the blinkers on as much as I can. It's the only way I can focus. I think when you're trying to keep uh, keep all the balls in the air, really. Yeah, and look, 
often you need people around you to do that. I mean, you know, for the financial advisors listening to this, how easy would it be for people to get distracted by things they can spend money on when they've said that their stated goals are to send their kids to private school or Mm. to take that amazing holiday in two years' time? Um, You know, there's a lot of people competing for their pay pass. And so, you know, it's the same thing that that having some accountability, having someone around you that can keep you focused on those things um, goes a long way to, you know, it's never linear. It's never like I will be 100% undistracted for six months. But if you can go off path for two weeks and get rain back in, it's a lot better than going off track for two years and then trying to rein that behavior back in. Um, There's a, there's a, a, a friend of mine in Brisbane coach for Elixir consulting, Lana Clark, who has a line. I can't remember the exact words, but it's something along the lines of, uh, during a coaching call, she'll ask if, if she sees a bit of that shiny object syndrome, she'll, uh, she'll ask what made it okay for you to deprioritize what we spoke about last month and reprioritize this. Yeah. Um, and it's not, you know, a school teacher form of discipline, but really it's a, it's a great question to ask is um, if we have agreed that your goals are this, and then we have decided that that is the way we're going to get you closer to that. Mm. How come that has become a priority? And most of the time it's because I got distracted, but Absolutely. good question for us to, to ask ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. And so what, so you know, there's there's so many things that we can do out there. There's so many, uh, you know, marketing strategies and there's content strategies and there's content platforms and there's all of these things. What what do you think? Like, how can people figure out what will be the most effective for them or where they should put that focus or what the, how to, do, you know, should you be aiming to be, you know, omnipresent? Is there a progression? Is there a, should we stick to one? Or, you know, what, what do you see as, as the, as the most effective way that that people can, you know, I, I suppose, for, especially for a small business owner, financial planner that's really good at their craft, but maybe they they haven't been like a lot of like mm-hmm. I know that I was that you you have you never have to do marketing until you start your own business. What's uh, yeah? What do you what do you see as as the most effective approach? MySpace. <laughs> Just yeah. <laughs> Like I said before, when the world zigs, you've got a zag. <laughs> Direct mail. Um, yeah. Look, I think it, it's if there was a simple solution to this, we'd all be doing it. Um, I suppose a couple of things. So I think a lot of the time people ask what they should be doing. Um, this is a, a Corey Wassell quote. Um, don't ask what, ask who. Uh, mm-hmm. Look, at the end of the day, we are all great at what we do and- Sometimes we most of us. Well, yeah, but you know, but there is something that we're all fantastic at, and we should be focusing on that, and you know, not getting distracted by other things. There is someone out there who can answer that question for you a lot better than you, and that doesn't mean you necessarily need to pay them either. Um, They've probably written books about it. They your rates are pretty cheap. (laughs) (laughs) No, this is not a subtle pitch, (laughs) unless you wanted to be. Oh four, oh five. (laughs) Um. So, yeah, I think a lot of the time people try and solve problems with tactics, but by solving a problem with a person who's solved that problem many, many times over, it's usually a much more effective path. Mm. Um, But for someone out there who's dabbling in this stuff and trying to work out which way they want to go and that they're very happy with the DIY approach, I think a lot of the time we approach this more from a rational perspective than an emotional perspective. Mm. What I mean by that is we're looking for the, you know, let's, our face, Facebook advertising, oh, I spoke to this guy at this PD day and he's doing Facebook advertising, so maybe I should be doing that. And at the end of the day, it's almost like starting a business, not because you have a connection to the person you're helping or the problem you're solving, 
but more for the logical reason of starting a business. And you can do that. And there's people who probably have done that and been successful. They've yeah. completely just seen a hole in the market and have no emotional connection to it and they make money. But most people who are successful in business could cry. They care so much about what they're doing. And I'm not saying find a content strategy that you're so excited about that you cry. Um, but what I am saying is that if there is someone who absolutely loves talking, you see them at events, they're just networking, conversing, meeting people. They just love being out in the world, having conversations. I wouldn't tell that person sit in front of a computer and start writing blogs if they don't like writing. If conversation yep. is just innate to who they are and they just love doing it, find an avenue for your marketing or your social media that involves conversations, just as an example. Because if you get busy and you're tired and you know you've got to get a piece of content out but you don't have much energy, you're going to find the energy. Um, if you, you know, that these things take a long time to get the results for as well. Um, it's not do it for three months, sit back and enjoy the fruits of your labor. The, the, it's a long tail ROI, ROI on a lot of this stuff. You've got to be seeing this through for 12 to 18 months. And if it's not something you're passionate about, you're just going to get distracted after three months and find an excuse not to do it. So I think yeah. approach it less from the what is everyone else doing and more go. It's a bit more of an inward journey, I think, about finding what do you actually love and deep down, what, what are you just going to keep doing for the love of doing it regardless of the ROI? Counterintuitively, that usually means that after you've done it for a you while, get you the get ROI. the ROI. Yeah. But I think you've just got to start with the why rather than starting with the, you know, the what what's in it for me side of things. Sure. And do you think that people should be aiming to be, you know, across all the different platforms? So written content, video content, uh, uh, podcast type type content as well. Do you think that's uh... with limited resources? No. Um, you know, it's that that idea of being a mile wide and an inch deep. I, I'd always recommend someone be an inch wide and a mile deep. Yeah. Um, yeah. Look, start somewhere, get a good traction, work out whether it's for you or not. You might push it to the side. You might love it. You might get to a point where you go, I've kind of scratched that itch and now I'm happy to move on. That's great. Um, but I think as a as any strategy, just trying to be all things to all people and, and do everything, whatever you're trying to achieve in life, it, it rarely produces results. Sure. And how long do you think is the right sort of timeline with that? Like I know that uh, we, I actually did one of these on the other side of the microphone with uh, with Clay uh, a couple of weeks back and uh, we were talking with uh, about Steve Salvia, who I work with uh, for, for, for a bunch of time. And he has a uh, thing, I, I don't know if I can recall it correctly. Apologies, Steve, if not, but he talks about one, one message, one channel one year or something like that like one market one message yeah i don't know he's got mm. a he's got a very um you mm. know nice way of saying it mm. but but effectively it's a 12 month and you and you just hammering the same platform to to see the results do you think is that the right sort of timeline or or what do you think if someone's going to kick try something new whether it's some sort of content strategy or how long do you think you you should go at it for without necessarily expecting to see results before you you know you evaluate whether it's it's effective look i'd say it has to be at least a year i don't have any hard and fast data on this uh, a lot of what i'm saying now is just coming from my gut feeling but i'd say you got to give it at least a year and pretty consistent within that year it doesn't mean you have to do it every day um, but i think you know if you can see something through for a year 
not only will you have an idea of whether you like it or not, but yeah, if it, if it's going it, to, it's enough time for you to learn lessons and refine your approach and get closer and closer to, to really nailing what you're doing. Uh, and yeah, I'd say, you know, you look at someone like Phil Thompson on video, um, he started with no one watching and, you know, started picking up clients by the end of that year. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I think 12 months seems to be a, a pretty reasonable guess. Nice. And what do you see is like, what do you think is the best way to advertise for, to attract new clients? To attract new clients. Or to advertise, I suppose, why else? But Yeah, well, it's interesting because, um, you know, I, sp- I, I heard a, a guy who used to speak a lot about social media now speaks a lot more about kind of personal mental health. But a guy called Nick Bowditch uh, about three or four years ago said that um, within three to four years, every business would need to have a paid strategy. And at the time, I disagreed thinking, you know, great content doesn't need money behind it. It'll spread organically. But we've since seen, you know, Facebook, I mean, organic reach on Facebook as an example, um, has almost died. So yes, I think advertising is something that pretty much every business who's online and wants to have a meaningful uh, representation online needs to be thinking about. Um, look, I I think it it does depend on your market. If you, you know, B2B, something like LinkedIn would work better. Um, if you're looking for more of a consumer market, Facebook, Instagram. I think though, the, the step that I often see missing is the natural funnel. Um, you know, in KPI, they call it the ascending transaction model. Um, but the idea of you know, if we go really simple, someone coming to your website and the button says book an appointment, it's a huge jump in trust to go, I don't know who you are. I want to sit in your office face to face and open up my financial life. So having those small steps of trust are more effective. And it would be the same with advertising. I think, you know, a lot of people would look at advertising their business. Um, Yeah, might work from a branding point of view, but you're much much greater chance of advertising being effective if you're just going to you know, advertise a small step, which might be an ebook, might be an event, might be just some piece of content that you've got that's targeted to the right audience. So yeah, just not expecting huge leaps of trust, I think is is something I see a lot of advisors do wrong. Yep. Um, and a lot of that involves, you know, some of the elements we've spoken about, yep. finding your, um, you know, having all of that content behind you, whatever you know, avenue you choose to pursue for that content. Um, you have to build all of that up before something like advertising would be successful for you. Sure. And so for somebody that's got a good financial planning offering or, or you know, a good, a good client offering more broadly, and they want, to, they want to get into advertising, they want to increase, they want to attract more people, uh, how do you think that they should go about building that, that, you know, you talk about the ascending transaction model, which is basically just giving people baby steps to to go through, do you think, do you, you know, do you see any common challenges there or is there a way that people can get around it if they, you know, if they typically they've just been a more the, the one-to-one type offering? Mm. Yeah, it's a really good question because I think most financial advisors get a huge kick out of the face-to-face. So to, to start thinking of building a product ecosystem where they're not responsible for delivering outcomes or helping people is, is somewhat challenging. Um, a really easy place for a lot of businesses to start is like frequently asked questions. Um, the chances are if you're hearing the same questions over and over as part of a client onboarding, there's a dormant audience of people who have those same questions that need them answered, um, perhaps that you could answer them you know, as part of your trust building and, and as part of just helping them out without them needing to walk into your office. Um, but I think a lot of this really is about, you know, build it, looking at the business of the future that you want to build. Um, 
So, you know, if, if we were to imagine, you know, everyone wants to scale, everyone wants to grow. Um, ultimately, if you, there's so many different ways of scaling, but um, the digital environment gives us the opportunity to, to scale in ways that are, are somewhat infinite, that don't involve a human constraint. Um, and I've, I've worked with businesses who go on that as a bit of a thought exercise and go, okay, well, if we wanted to look after 100,000 people, um, you know, a lofty goal for most businesses, what would have to change? How would we do that? So what in our business would be different? And all of a sudden, it's not about face-to-face appointments. Um, it's about, okay, well, we'd have to, you know, create a survey or a quiz or a checklist. And it, it, when, when you start to uh, take what's in your head and turn it into materials, all of a sudden you're getting an, an insight into some, what some of those steps could be in helping people before they've come in. So yep. it's almost like you've got to take your business into a zone where you don't need to be there to deliver it and then reverse engineer that into content. Um, you know, there's a really great quote in KPI. They say intuition is unexplored IP. Um, you know, whoever's great at what they do has a lot of intuition about how they can help people and what they can do. Um, but yeah, I think the the journey is about exploring that and turning it into IP. And yeah, a lot of that comes from imagining if I wasn't part of the equation, how could I deliver this same outcome to people, regardless of whether you choose that as a business model or not. So we talked about content. We talked about advertising. The other part of the marketing thing we're talking about is the is the client experience. What are the biggest problems that you see people face in the in the client experience space? Yeah, look, um, I think for the most part, you know, if your business is successful, you're delivering a great client experience. So a lot of the time, it's uh, less about the quality of the client experience. Um, it's very rare that you know it, it, most businesses that have had any level of success have happy clients. Um, most of the time. You know, it's that there's a few analogies I've heard, but a lot of the time it's about, you know, it's like the duck swimming on the water that above the surface it's graceful and it looks pretty, but mm. it's what's happening beneath the surface that's chaotic and, mm-hmm. and absolutely frantic. And uh, I think that that's well and truly the, the issue I'm seeing facing, that the issue I'm seeing a lot of advisors facing at the moment is just um, making clients happy can be easy and a lot of that can be about scrambling and, you know. Yep. Sub- I experience that every day. <laughs> yeah. Sub- sure. yeah, and substituting uh, what you know is not the best use of your time in order to make sure your clients are happy and then getting to the end of the day and going, well, all of my clients are happy, but I haven't done X, Y, Z that I was going to do for yeah. my business today. Um, so, yeah, I think the biggest challenge is, is that uh, that how do we have systems and processes that mean that, you know, if key people in the business take four, six weeks off, clients receive just the same experience that they would have otherwise. Um, and a lot of that's about scaling as well. So when you are a, a single advisor in a single business, um, it's pretty easy to control the client experience. But then if you want to bring extra people into the team, that that changes. Um, and then as things get busier, you know, often you see the client experience waning in quality as well. Absolutely. Yeah, I know. Uh, obviously, I keep using Corey as an example, but I know we were talking, and, and he's saying that he's been experiencing some, some some really good growth in his business as as of I, and we were chatting about it and saying that it's um, you know, you can sort of tell that when it, you know, it, it, it sort of things that just the the really tiny things, you know, that you can uh, sometimes they can slip and. Yeah, that's. I suppose that all sort of feeds into the to the client experience, obviously. And 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 uh, you, when you when you're so focused on that area, then then you you know it, it's it becomes obviously it's more of a more of a frustration for the business owner. So, how do you think you know what what's what's the best way to protect a business against 
that sort of growth because it's that real balancing act with it's great to have this amazing team and I'm going to have 15 people and they're going to cover for that person if they go on holiday and all these things. But then you look at your top line, bottom line, and it's, uh, you know, you 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 need to have a, a, a sustainable business as well. So, yeah, how do you think people can tackle that question? Yeah, look, I think that the natural answer is technology and uh, finding ways to use technology to replace the bits that you don't necessarily have to do. Um, I think, you know, coming back to the the sand analogy of, of you know, being scared of falling down on the sand, so not doing it at all. Um, I think a lot of people are so worried about something like email automation. They go, oh, but what if the wrong email goes to the wrong person and um, oh, I'm going to yes. look like an idiot? And so they just don't even start the process at all or even look to automate a small part of what they do. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, a big, big element of this from my point of view is just have it like – just just realizing that there has to be some element of automation in your business in the future, no matter what. Um, and you could read a lot of books and, you know, wait for the perfect moment. But the perfect moment is probably right now to at least start playing with some of this stuff. Or 10 be- years ago. That's right. Well, yes. The, the best time was 10 years ago. The second best time is today. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, just I, I think at the end of the day, if, if I got an, an incorrect email from an advisor and I was like, hold on, why am I getting this? And... Then I, I, you know, reply and say what the hell's going on, and they apologise. I could move on pretty quickly. Mm. Um, you know, falling falling on that sand hill isn't as painful as yeah. it, you probably think it is. Um, but then, as long as you turn that into a lesson and improve the system and make sure it doesn't happen again, your business is in a better place than it was. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, I think you know, a, a lot of it's fear of the unknown. Um, but yeah, I, you know, that there's a there's a lot of young people who eat this stuff up for breakfast these days. Um, you know. They can, they can be SMSing and, and setting up an email automation at the same time. Yeah. So the people are there who can make it happen. Um, I think a lot of it's just trusting it enough to, to go on the journey and at least start somewhere and realize that it doesn't need to be perfect to get started. Absolutely, yeah. The world will not fall apart if you send the wrong sequence to the wrong person. I have learned this from personal experience. A good tip to get around that is a 10-minute 10 10 minute wait at the start of every automation or before every email. So Love that, that you, one. You, when you press the button, there's a you. Uh, you've got you've got ten minutes to ditch yeah, it out. Absolutely, and look, um, you know, this is something I say to a lot of businesses when we're talking about client experience. That the example I often give is, um, I remember this when I was a kid. That you know, my dad would come back from work. He's like, I'll be home at seven, and uh, you know getting dinner ready and it'd be quarter past seven and you could tell mum's like, oh, I said seven o'clock, what's going on? And uh, then all of a sudden it'd be 8 p.m. and then you could just see mum's a bit more anxious and she's like, where the hell's dad? And uh, then all of a sudden she'd start verbalising that and then all of a sudden, you know, by 9.30 when dad's not home, we're, we're in a bit of a panic because we just don't know what's going on with dad. And uh, all of a sudden he comes in and goes, oh my gosh, I had this meeting, I was supposed to finish at 7, I went to 8.30 and then yeah, there's, you know, there's uh, track works on the train lines, so I had to get a bloody bus and this is before mobile phones, right? And I so stopped at the payphone though. Yeah, well, Come potentially, on, yeah. although if he's on one of those railway buses, you know. <laughs> no, you can't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know, a lot of the time people work in a safe place, live in a safe place, but that kind of halfway point between those two is not somewhere you want to go <laughs> either and get off the bus and make that phone call. Um but the point is here that when we're in the middle of information voids, our mind goes to crazy places. And when you look at a lot of businesses that are, 
you know, doing a great job for when things are under their nose, but maybe aren't being as proactive on the communication for things that aren't in your inbox or on the phone or that aren't in your immediate vicinity. Um, if people aren't hearing from you and they're, uh, you know, that they're not receiving any communication, their mind can go, you, you don't know where their mind's going. They can be like, oh, look, he sold me the world uh, and hasn't followed through. Uh, all, all she wanted to do was get the deal across the line. Um, she, you know, she hasn't lodged my insurance application yet, whatever it might be. There's so many, you, you don't know what someone's assumption or their conclusion is about why they haven't heard from you. Um, so, you know, if you look at that, like, Someone getting the wrong automation and then that leading to a conversation of going, okay, sorry, we sent the wrong thing. At least they're still hearing from you. But if you're so busy that you're not communicating at all with your clients and they're not hearing from you, um, the outcome could be far worse. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that, you know, I'm a, I'm a big one for over-communication. I, I don't think that can that can ever hurt uh, in somebody. The, the worst thing that can happen is that people say, well, I don't really need to know this, but uh, I think ultimately people, there's a lot of people out there that they just want to be, they want to stay informed of, of what's going on. So definitely, I think, yeah, when people are trying to be efficient in businesses, absolutely you need to be able to do that at scale and to be able to do it effectively, efficiently and and, and make sure that, yeah, the people that we're avoiding the information void. Yeah. Right? Look, that, at the end of the day, people just want to know that you remember them and that you haven't forgotten about them. And so if you, um, you know, I learned this when I worked in a call center that if I had a complaint every day, I'd just jump on the phone and ring the person and say, you know, often get their voicemail and say, look, just a quick message, let you know, haven't forgotten about you, still looking into it, still haven't heard back from this person, whatever. And, you know, that that's, that's very similar to say the insurance implementation process where, you know, a lot of the time you don't have news, um, you don't have anything positive to report. And a lot of businesses see that as a reason to just, I'll wait till I've got something to tell them and then I'll get in touch. But yeah, over communicating and saying it's still in the pipeline, still in the process, you're being thought of, you're being remembered. Um, I'll keep you posted. I like that. Most people are very comfortable. Yeah. I, uh, you know, uh, I, I read a, a really great book. I wish I knew the name of it for the for the listeners. But uh, get about, unstuck. Get, get unstuck. That's <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, it might have been Clay's book. It was one of your books. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> uh, I think it was Spot Goes to the Circus. Actually. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no. So it was about client experience, and they they were talking about um, Disneyland and how they could just do a really straight line between outside the ride and inside the ride but it wouldn't move very quickly but by doing the 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 you know zigzag shaped queue to get onto the ride you're constantly moving and as long as you're constantly moving forward you're pretty happy with that because you know you're getting closer mm. so it doesn't actually speed up the process but because there's things happening the whole time it kind of distracts you from the fact you're waiting. And, uh, you know, that that's very, you, you can liken that to any client experience, especially a financial advice one, where there is often periods where um, things are slow and they can take a little bit of time. But as long as there's communication, there's things happening, there's correspondence, uh, people are going to just feel like they're on, they're on that, you know, they're in that queue and they're moving closer to the front of the ride. Um, yeah, it's not as exhilarating, the, the outcome <laughs> of that. <laughs> uh, but, you know, uh, you, you could sit in front of your computer and make sure that for every client that you're implementing advice for, they're hearing from you, but then you can also just make sure that you've got automation set oh, yeah. up so you don't have to think Absolutely. about that. Yeah. And so, you know, we see a lot of people like in the XY community there, they've got, uh, you know, um, 
newer growing businesses. They're growing businesses and they're looking for, for different ways to attract, to, to grow their businesses and, and to, to attract new clients. What do you, what do you think are the most effective ways that, that people can, um, can, can, you know, find their, the best way for them to attract new clients? Yeah, it's a huge question. Um, if there was a really simple answer, I'd, I'd be an insanely wealthy person. Let me ask you this way. What do you see as the most effective way for uh, generally for people to, uh, to attract new clients? Uh, look, I, I think ultimately there, there's an element of giving without expectation of return. Um, I think when people are on the receiving end of anything where they can tell that you're only get you're only hearing from this person because they want something. It feels disingenuous, and trust is broken down, and then you know the the whole point of the exercise doesn't end up crystallizing. So if you, you know, like I think a lot of this comes back to strengths. Like there's some advisors who are so great at relationships that you know referral partners are the way to go. There's others who just have so much, so many ideas between their ears and and stuff that could really genuinely help people. And so for them, social media might be more of the way to go. Um, for others, they just have amazing networks and it's about, okay, well, you know, I, I'm really embedded in this gym network. How can I give value to them? At the end of the day, it's it, it doesn't really matter what avenue you want to go down. I think find the one that makes sense for you and that feels right, but go into that giving before you expect to receive. Again, mm. it's kind of like that content strategy we were talking about where it's kind of counterintuitive that the best way to give an RO, get an ROI is to not expect an ROI. Um, but yeah, going in with the right intention and, you know, if, if, if I was a financial advisor and I wanted to start bringing on referral partners, I wouldn't be going in there going, let's swap clients and let's do this split and all these things that are the natural outcome at the end of it, potentially. So focus on the inputs and focus on building the trust first. So I'd be going in there going, forget me as a financial advisor. Let me look around your business and see any problem that I feel like I can solve. Now, in your case, it could be something as simple as, uh, oh, well, look, I've you know been doing a lot of videos and is that something you've been doing? Cool, you can come use my studio anytime. I'll help you do a few. Why don't I bring the equipment to the office and you know show you what I've got? At the end of the day, like you guys, um, it, you know, that there's opportunities just to help people regardless of whether there's anything in it for you or not. And that's the best way to build trust. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, spot on. I wasn't expecting that, but I think you're right in that the, it's the, the old uh, Robert Cialdini, Cialdini, Cialdini? I don't know how to Cialdini. say it. Cialdini, yep. Cialdini, uh, in his book Persuasion, amazing read, uh, he talks about that that reciprocation benefit and it's one of the one of the fastest ways to to build that trust uh, as well. Are you seeing though any trends when it comes to to attraction? Is it moving more digital or is it still? Do you are you still seeing like because obviously the the traditional model is probably more the the network and re, and referral type. Do you, are you seeing any changes there? Um, look, I wouldn't say I'm seeing any clear trends. I think. Um, there's definitely there's, there's definitely more advisors who have built complete sales funnels online now than there used to be, um, but there's still very few. Like to to be honest, I I don't think there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people out there who just say I'm just getting all these leads off social media and I've never met them before. I mean it it happens, it does, but mm. um, that they'd be the exception rather than the rule. Um, you know, word of mouth is still you know, the lifeblood of financial advice businesses. And 
you know, it, it's not something that you ever want to get addicted to. Um, you you want to be branching out outside that. But at the end of the day, it is low-hanging fruit for most businesses. And, you know, when I would start, you know, the, when I start working with a lot of businesses, there's so many more opportunities to build word of mouth rather than looking at the, all some of these bright, shiny objects on the outside. Absolutely. Um, one thing I would say is a trend that I've noticed is that um, advisors entering the workplace uh, and speaking to groups of corporate uh, clients or, you know, employees of a business, uh, often just to deliver value. Yes, there there often is a more one-on-one process after that, but I'm seeing a lot of that happening. I know that's something that you've been playing around a lot with in the last Absolutely. 12 months. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, you know, all, running events um, is something that marketers have been doing for decades, uh, you know, standing on the soapbox and influencing a crowd of people. But uh, yeah, I think that that's not going away, and if anything, I've seen more people succeeding with that recently. Um, you know, at the end of the day, the the problems that financial advisors are solving for Australians are absolute real problems, and you know that's the first step of any great business is make sure you're solving an actual problem rather than inventing one and convincing people they need the solution. <laughs> yeah. um, and you know, talk about the barefoot investor, you get very mixed responses from most financial advisors, but here's made Australians talk about money. Um, I see those orange ING cards everywhere and I feel like even in my own family and networks, people are are starting to talk a lot more about money. And so I don't know if um, mm. workplaces be more receptive to advisors walking in or people actually turning up to these events and wanting to learn more about money. I don't know if that's a, that's a demonstrated trend, if we could measure that somehow, but I'd say anecdotally, I'm feeling that people are a lot more open to to getting on top of their money and realize the importance of yeah. it. Maybe because there's a bit of pain there. Um, you know, property prices on the rise and people either missing out or or not sure how to proceed or whatever the case may be. But yeah, I think that the face-to-face stuff's having a surprising uh, a surprising result at the moment in a lot of the businesses I'm seeing. Yeah, I think that the, I think there are actually, I don't have them off the top of hand, but I think there are some uh, some good stats out there about especially, uh, especially Gen Y and Gen Z that they're more mindful of like they're thinking about money more and Mm. and more and a bit more savvy when it comes to money Mm. still they still need a lot of help Mm. don't get me wrong but just uh just they're not you know i think that the the financial literacy levels in the gen x typically and the and the baby boomer space are extremely low Mm. and they're saying that yeah from i think it's actually ing's speaking of the the orange cards that um those guys have put out some research where they talk about the yeah the, the the Gen Y is being being more open to it. So hopefully, I think that 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 trend continues. And I think that definitely that's something something that I'm seeing that you you know there's the workplace element, but there's also just the at scale element. And I mm. think that's one of the things that obviously social media is you you're on the, the on the digital soapbox, mm. right? But then there's the then there's the advertising, and it's all about amplification of the message. I think. Uh, one of the things that you know, I focus on that uh, for for the last sort of three years, and and find that, like I mentioned before, that you know, doing presentations forces you to really hone that message, mm. but then it gets you in front of more people, obviously mm. as well. Mm. Great that the workplaces are open to it, but I think that there's one of the things that I'm noticing in that space is that yeah, they're they're people doing more presentations, and then people doing more online training. Like I, you know, you think back to sort of three years ago. I think, like, I'm sure there are other people that I don't know that mm. were doing it, but I remember when Lee Shadell she put out her first, her training, the mindful, 
uh, I think it was under the Mindful Wealth movement, the, or maybe it was a, maybe it was a different brand under a, her business. But um, you know that was that was almost unheard of at that mm. time, and and now you're seeing more and more that it's that it's the really they're getting out of scale, and I think mm. it's the same with the, we talk about mm. podcasts and content and mm. and bits and pieces as well. That that's really uh, pushing people out, so people are trying to move up the scale. Yep. Chain. Yep. Yeah, well. and look, I'm. I'm really conscious, like one of the absolute tenets of my business and everything I do is if I make people feel good and give them good ideas and there's no follow through and no no tangible outcome, I've failed. Um, if I do a presentation to a group of people, no matter how much I get paid, if I know in three months time, none of them would have changed what they do in business, that, that was a bad presentation from my point of view, no matter what their feedback's like. So I'm really conscious of... I, I hate the idea of getting on a podcast like this and just saying all this generic stuff and not giving people the tangible, like, you know, I'd love to be able to sit here now and go, everyone, get on Facebook, spend $5 a day, and the audience that you should target is this, and the ad, it should it look like It doesn't work. This. Don't listen to <laughs> And this is what I mean, that it, it's not that simple. And if it was, every schmuck would be doing it, and it would <coughs> it would stop being effective. So, um, you know, it, it's like get-rich-quick schemes. They just don't work over the long term. Um, yeah. So, so, but, so I, I want to talk about Lee, though, because I think she is a really, really great example of everything I've been saying. There was no business coach in the world who could have sat down with Lee and said, before you start talking, Lee, the path to you is yoga, mindfulness, and money. There is a connection there. I'm telling you, this is the next growth area. All you've got to do is learn a bit about yoga, become mindful, connect the spirit and how money is affected and affects the spirit, find the interconnection between them and niche in that area, you're going to build a successful business. You'd bet against it. You would. But it. do you know what? Lee didn't focus on someone else's opinion. She just... She just got connected to her truth and that was her truth and she saw that connection that no one else had seen and trusted her gut and just went for it. And so- Smashed it. That's it. And so, you know, I, I said this earlier in the episode that it's not about the the head. It's not about looking outwards necessarily and going, that's the gap. I'm going to fill it. It starts by looking inwards and going, what's my truth? What am I excited about? You know, Lee going overseas and, and doing a, a retreat and speaking about money at a yoga retreat is not work for her. That is mm. her in flow. What a beautiful gift that she can give the world, that she can be in flow and help people at the same time. Um, and that's what we all need to find to some extent. Now, it mightn't be as overt as yoga or mindfulness. It, mm. you know, it might be something quite subtle. Um, it might be 5 or 10% different what our truth is compared to another financial advisor. You know, Lee's an extreme example, but I think we've just got to own who we are. We've really just got to cut all the crap and, and get out of our head and go, what, what do I bloody love doing? And geez, what's the bit that I help people with the most? What's the bit that they value? And just double down on that. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, you know, a, a lot of that is about being self-aware and, and speaking to the people that you serve and, and truly understanding the value you provide. But there's an element of faith to all this and there's a, there's you just got to trust your gut. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, actually. It's, I think it's that uh, that element of intuition and, and I, you know, I, I would hazard a guess that that's part of what drove Lee to start her when she was doing the, the money on the mat sessions or whatever where she was doing a bit of yoga and then and then chatting a bit of, a bit of money. And I know that for... 
like for a lot of the work that we've been, you know, working together for a couple of years. And uh, I think some of the best decisions that we've made collectively are from, they've come from your intuition or mine or a combination of those where it's just like, I've got this idea. I think I remember uh, one of them where we're talking about that, the fee, like d- disclosing the fees, which I, you know, I think as an advisor, you always uh, get told to, you know, hold on to that and don't tell anyone the cost until the end. And then you, uh, and then you tell them the cost. But I literally woke up in the middle of the night and I was like, I should just create a video that tells them the fees. And then I should just give it to everybody. And then they know what the fees are. I was like, I think that'll work. And it was quite it was like sort of it was pretty unconventional. I think I have I've mm-hmm. not heard of anyone else doing it, but I just thought it would work. And I, and and it, let me tell you, it worked. You know, like and I think that game changer. I'm not and massive. like that's that's a lofty mm. phrase, but it really was, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think that that the uh, the Wasley, you know, as seen on iTunes, superstardom uh, with 35 downloads, maybe bit maybe. of social proof, bit of social proof that trust and bu- building it up, but. Um, that like yeah, that's that's pushed our conversions like more than doubled our conversion rate. All of those changes together, and I think that there have been other things that we've done with even with advertising stuff or with uh, you know email sequencing and bits and pieces. And sometimes you just feel it. You've got to mm. you've got to sort of go for it. And I think that that's something that you're saying across a lot of the the channels where a lot of the I suppose the elements of that marketing to say, well, what are you got to find what you feel, what works for you, do you mm. trust the instinct and then give it a go, don't expect to be awesome, mm. build on that and mm. um and then and then you and then you you know refine and mm. and, and measure. Absolutely. I I think uh so one of my clients, uh, what we have a series of Voxer chats for people who don't know what Voxer is. It's like a walkie-talkie app, but you can set up different channels. And one of the the conversations we have on Voxer with their team is called Celebrate the Wins. And it's just great advice stories, great things happening in the client base. Let's share them. And it's you know it's a, it's a really great way to make sure that the team from the top to the bottom are realizing the impact the business is having. That yes, you're sitting there, you know, pushing paperwork or responding to emails, but you're actually making a difference to people's lives. I digress. Uh, one of the stories the other day was about um, someone who, young person, mid twenties, um, had a really high paying job, very in demand in their industry, um, and they decided to go, you know, stop working, go overseas for six months, and just do the dream holiday. This person sitting on two hundred thousand in the bank, um, getting all these offers to come back to Australia to work, and she said to her advisor, "Look, I." I'm just not ready. I'm just having, I've never been so happy in my life. I'm completely in flow. I am so happy right now, but logic's telling me that I should come home and earn money. And the advisor said, if your gut's telling you to do that, there's no financial reason why I say you're crazy to stay over there because you're running up debt or whatever. Mm. You've got the money. Money money is a, a tool for happiness. So keep doing what you're doing. Go for another six months. And, yeah. you know, the outcome was thank you, like, for giving me permission to do that. And yeah. it really made me reflect that any great coach, um, a lot of the time they're not telling people what to do. They're just giving people permission to trust their gut. Yeah. A lot of the time we know what we should be doing. And even if it doesn't you know, end up being the exact right thing, we need to kind of do it just because it's in our heart or our gut or whatever we want to say to give it a crack and then you know, either learn a really important lesson, which we needed to learn, or you know, experience a level of success yeah. that, that we, you know, deep down knew was possible. 100%. And uh, 
I think that's that that's you know my job as a coach a lot of the time I'm not I'm not there as this you know standing on the mountain with all this knowledge that people are lucky to to hear mm-hmm. from I know some things that other people don't know and sure that's part of what I help businesses with but a lot of the time it's uh it's you guys have this unique DNA that means that whilst you're st- selling roughly similar things to other financial advisors there's a uniqueness to you and your business that they don't have and you know that and you know you can dig into that but you kind of you, you know, surround it with all this crap and kind of let, let all this logic and thinking get in the way. And yeah, the more you can just kind of get out of your head and just go, you know what, there's no logical reason to do this, but I'm just going to have a crack because it's fun or it just makes sense to me. The, yep. the easier I can make that process for businesses, it, it, it makes everything better. And that's what people buy as well, right? Like you talk about everyone's, you know, everyone's got unique and they're people. And we've interviewed, you know, all these amazing advisors on on uh, on this podcast, and they're they're bringing in different elements of the things that they care about and they're mm. passionate about into their business, their personality. Uh, that so people, yeah, need to get out of mm. their head so they they can resist that. Mm put themselves on display because that's mm. where the the trust the affinity mm. and the, and the business comes from. Mm. And and yeah, so like you know your question before about you know if someone's kind of starting a business and they're looking to build those steps in their product funnel what what's the process? Like a lot of it's just playing around and you know the word play being the operative word like you know, where, where I read this book, it literally changed my life. I talked about it in the last last time I was on the XY podcast called Screw Work, Let's Play. And it talks about um, playing for the sake of playing just because it feels right. So when there's a kid in the sandbox playing with sand, pouring a cup of sand on their head and then putting it in the back of a digger. You've got this real yeah. sand thing happening today. I do, sand, yes, absolutely. Yeah, what does this mean? I don't know. I think it might mean that you... You're into marketing. Maybe. <laughs> um, but yeah, you, you don't say to the kid, well, what, what's the ROI of this? Like what, you know, are you going to go into the construction industry? Because if not, like you shouldn't, if you, if you want to be, you said to me yesterday, Alex, you want to be an astronaut. So I don't think you should be playing in the sand. Mm. I think, you know, or no, look, you know, that industry is going to get outsourced to the Philippines out. You shouldn't be playing in the sand, mate. You should be in front of an iPad there. Like, that's not what we do. We just let people play because it feels right. And um, we lose that sense as we get too logical as we grow up. Um, and so I think, you know, G- Gary V said this so beautifully. I'm not going to say it anywhere near as nice, but I saw him present in Brisbane last year. And he talked about how frustrated he gets when business owners ask that question of what platform should I be on? And, you know, he uses a lot more expletives than me, but he's like, I don't know. It's like, I have absolutely no clue. Except I know for that. audio, because he's all about the audio. Well, yeah, but what, what platform is that, right? Like, are you putting it out on Facebook or Instagram? Or, you know, it's like mm. he has, inv- he said no one in the world has invested more hours in wasted, redundant, useless social media platforms than him. But he's had the humility, as he says, to just not expect that everything he does needs to have an ROI, otherwise he doesn't do it. We well, all, there is an ROI. It's a longer term that you learn, you've, exactly. you've learned a lesson. That's right, but it's not always measurable and mm. you hit a lot of dead ends. And it's not always this three-month thing where you see the results instantly. You've just got to you, you, you've got to expect the dead ends and keep pushing forward. And Absolutely. So, so, yeah, a lot of it is about play. It's a lot of it's about experimentation. Um, there's a fine line there, though, because like we said before, if you're doing 20 different platforms um, – you know, you can be spending a lot of effort and energy and not doubling down on anything or, or going yeah. through enough of a learning curve. Or, you know, if For you sure. if you subscribe to the 10,000 hours, you, you don't get that by doing, you know, <laughs> 5,000 things to, two hours at a time. Um, so, 
you know, play around, but then when you get a hunch that something makes sense to you, is working, you're excited by it, just go for it. Absolutely. Yeah, look, I get the sense that you should, like I, um, you know, I always thought it was important to be across all channels. I just went, we were at this event on uh, last week though, and I just logged into my Twitter because I typically just go on Twitter when I'm tweeting at advisors, basically at advisor events. And for the last little bit, I've been sort of avoiding that to a degree to focus on other stuff in the business. And uh, I realized that the last time I logged into Twitter was in 2016, which wow. I got in trouble off Naomi, the lovely Naomi Christopher, uh, for because she said she'd tweet at me like 150 times and I hadn't I hadn't responded. But I always thought, yeah, you need, you need to be everywhere. But what I've learned is that you sort of having something like on on the, having a presence there where people can find you, that's important. But then you can redirect them to other places where you play more, right? Like the the things that you really want to be in, uh, you, and then focus. You can focus on an area that you are passionate about that aligns with your, you know, your natural skill set or what your where you find your flow, uh, and then and then you can build from there. And typically, if you master. Well, ma- master in inverted qu- inverted commas that if you if you uh, you know achieve a level of success, then that can can often open doors into other areas, other channels, and then you say, well, actually, yeah, I like this part. Mm. Maybe it can tweak this and mm. and put it somewhere else. Yeah. So look, uh, just be- before we wrap, because uh, you know I'm I could talk to you all day uh, as we as we often often do um, but tell me I'm, I'm keen to I'm keen to get your capstone so like tell me about like the the common challenges that you that you see when it comes to, to from a marketing perspective how we can solve them and what are the key things that people should be focusing on yeah um, so I just to qualify what you mean by capstone um, that's a KPI term. Uh, I was going to leave it in the magic and <laughs> just say that you were just like a succinct, very organized human being. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. Since I've done, done KPI, like it sounds like Ben and I speak a different language most of the time. It's like it's kind of weird and cultish sometimes. Um, so look, I, I I say to to people that I help build financial advice businesses through uh, happy clients and a high performing team. Uh, there, it just so happens that there is there is a huge crossover between those two things. Um, so I would say it's almost impossible to have happy clients unless your team are happy. Uh, and if you have the right feedback loops in your business, uh, when clients are happy, it can also make the team happy provided they're connected enough to that. So, you know, I, Tony Robbins talks about, so this, I'm going off capstone here, but I'll come back to it. <laughs> I, get out. I fail pitch fest. Uh, <laughs> Tony Robbins talks about four basic human needs, uh, I might get the words wrong, but the principles are the same. Um, stability, variety, significance, and connection. There are four needs that we all have that we need to different degrees, but they are the absolute basic fundamental needs that we all need to fulfill to some level. There's two optional needs. One is contribution and one is growth. So literally, you could live your whole life without helping anyone else or giving back to the world. You could also live your whole life Hardly growing, you know. Sure, you're going to grow uh, in size. Yes, you, you you might grow a few grey hairs, a few ear hairs for those men out there as you get a bit older. But oh, hairs on the top of your ears. Yeah, I that's an interesting my, one. My yeah, has been cutting recently. And that's knuckle cool. hairs. That's another interesting one where you go, "Geez, I'm getting old." Uh, but at, at the at the end of the day, like you can live a life where you got enough stability, 
um, enough variety, enough significance and connection that you could be content without delving into contribution and growth. The contribution and growth are the two things that give us exponential levels of joy and fulfillment. And I'm mentioning that because I see that as the opportunity for every single business, especially financial advice businesses. Uh, They have the opportunity to contribute to the world in a way that very few businesses do. Um, And any business has an opportunity to give their employees stability and a little bit of significance, a bit of variety, a bit of connection. But many businesses don't take advantage of the opportunity to give their team growth and to take them to a point where they leave that business far greater a human being across many metrics than they were when they walked in. I see business as the perfect place to achieve growth for the team, growth for the owners, uh, but also contribution to the world. And so in a nutshell, what I would do or what I would say I'd like to say that I do for businesses is help them find that happy spot where their team are growing, their team are finding their voice, getting connected to their skills, working out what it is that makes them come alive and brings them joy um, in a way, in a playground around the client experience where it's actually making life, life better for the clients on the outside of that business. Well, mate, I already told you I am sold once, uh, you know, once, once we have a, a framework around that. So thank you very much for, uh, for joining us for the marketing series today. How can our listeners get in touch? I'm currently developing my website, so don't know when this one's going to get released, but... Straight on MySpace. Yep, myspace.com. Was it .com? It wasn't .org. No, it was .com, wasn't it? I don't know. It I digress. Uh, my website will be human to human, not the number two, human, T-O, human, dot business. Yes, I have one of those fancy Ooh, slugs at the end. Expect uh, nothing less but, from a Queenslander. <laughs> hey, I'm not a Queenslander. I'm a Sydney cider who has chosen to live in Queensland. Uh, The sunny side, my friend. (laughs) How did you go getting parking today? How many times did you... So I caught up with Ben at lunch, and in four hours, how many times did you have to park, move your car? Yeah, too many. Very interesting. Um, (laughs) No parking restrictions in Queensland. Um, Yeah, so the best way to get in touch with me would be via LinkedIn if the the website's still under development, depending when this episode's released. Uh, My username is Michael J. Back, but if you type in in Michael Back, it's not that common a name, so LinkedIn would be the best place to connect with me. Mate, thank you very much. Thank you, Ben.